We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Scott Radley in for Scott Thompson today on Hamilton Today. Welcome to the Friday edition of the show. Yes, on Grey Cup weekend here in Hamilton. The only downside this weekend, the only negative is that the Ticats are not playing in the game. But there is a ton of stuff to do in town. Some of you have already gotten involved. Some of you will. We'll be telling you more about the Grey Cup as the show goes on today. And if you decide that you do not want to participate in any kind of Grey Cup festivities, here's your other option. There is a company called Bloomsy Box. I have no idea what Bloomsy Box does. But they are looking for one person who will sit and watch 12 consecutive Hallmark Christmas movies and grade them and get paid for this. <laughs> you will get paid to watch Hallmark Christmas movies. And here's the beauty of this. They are all exactly the same. <laughs> Every Hallmark Christmas movie has one plot. They just change the name and face of the lead characters and change the name of the town. You know, instead of it being Christmasville, it's Noelville. (laughs) And instead of, you know, the woman who moves back to her hometown meeting the person who runs the bookstore, they meet the person who runs the craft store. (laughs) It's all the same. You can get paid to sit and watch the same thing 12 times over. That, that seems either really boring or a really easy job. I'm not sure. Anyway, it's one or the other. Apply for that or get involved in the Great Cup Festival this weekend. Whatever, whatever spins your tires is what you should do this, this weekend. We got, as I say, those stuff, so much stuff going on in the city. We will be, as I say, talking about that uh, later in the show, about the festival that's going on, the things down on James Street, and you got Carrie Underwood in town, and you're going to have on Sunday, or there's lots of stuff tomorrow as well, but you're going to have the fan festival where even if you don't have a ticket, I'm reasonably confident if you are somewhere in the area of Tim Hortons Field, you will probably hear, you know, Monster Truck. Monster Truck is not a diminutive ballad band. If you are within the distance that sound waves can travel, you will hear Monster Truck, pretty sure. I will also be talking about the game itself, and we will be talking and grading the halftime shows. We will be grading the halftime shows that the Grey Cup has offered over the years. We'll do that on the show today. Speaking of football, well, this next one isn't really about football, except a football player is involved. Did you happen to see... Celebrity Jeopardy this week. I know so many people watch Jeopardy. Did you happen to watch Celebrity Jeopardy this week? And the reason I ask that is even if you didn't watch, you can understand this because probably this is the greatest fear every one of us who have ever watched Jeopardy would have. Becky Lynch, who's a WWE wrestler, was on there and she set a new record on Jeopardy. Through the first 60 questions, so the, through Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy, She did not get a single answer correct, which is, well, I'm going to say it's going to be hard to beat. It's impossible to beat. It's literally impossible to beat that in a bad way. Pete Diakowski, football player, former Ticat, former participant in Grey Cups, formerly Canada's smartest man, and former contestant on Jeopardy. Uh, He will be joining us to talk about how this could happen. And let's just say this, Pete is a very intelligent man. And I'm not saying that with any degree of irony. He truly is. 
Pete's experience on Jeopardy, as he will explain, did not go quite according to plan. He, he is a perfect person to talk about how this could happen, although he did not do nearly what Becky Lynch did. That That's phew, zero. Ugh. The, um, what else are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about fireworks. Have you been hearing about this? The city of Hamilton is now exploring whether to get rid of Canada Day fireworks because I guess this is the city after this weekend that is in the business of banning fun. I don't know. Are we, are we not supposed to, well, the, the argument is the, the idea is, well, they're not good for the environment and some people don't like, and animals don't like the big bangs. We should have a drone show or something instead. Should we be getting rid of fireworks? Really? That's the poll question today on uh, Twitter or X, by the way. Should Hamilton replace its fireworks display on Canada Day with alternatives such as drones or laser light shows? You can go to X or Twitter and look for 900 CHML and cast your vote in our poll there. I would love to hear what you have to say about this one. I know people who have dogs who sometimes say, well, yeah, my dog hates it when the fireworks go off. Well, that's part of this. The other part is, as I say, that they're saying, well, this isn't great for the environment. Hmm. I wonder if there's going to be fireworks at the Grey Cup on Sunday. Should we ban them too? We'll get into that. I, you, I'm probably betraying my side on this one. It's like twice a year. It's Canada Day and maybe one other time a year. Sure. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into this later on. But again, go to... Twitter or X, cast your vote there. Uh, and you can also text me 905-645-3221. Preemptively text me. What do you think about this? Love to hear from you on that one. We will be, uh, discussing the city. The city has a, um, a waste hotline where you can call in and report things that are, um, that you find wasteful. Well, we're going to talk about what is going on there and what they've found. And yesterday marked one year since this council was elected. Well, not since it was elected, one year since this council was sworn in. They were elected before then, but November 16, 2022, this council took their place around the council table. They have now had a year in power. John Best from the Bay Observer will be joining us to chat about how the mayor specifically, but also how the council has done. And once again, I would love to hear from you. Same text line. Send me a text. 905-645-3221. Send me a text. How do you think Hamilton Council and the mayor, you can do it together or as two separate entities, how have they done in their first year in power? Remember, if, if you're looking for, well, I'm not really sure how to gauge this. Well, remember one thing. This council was elected as the change council, 10 new members around the council table. This was the change council. Has it brought change? And if it has brought change, has it brought change that you're happy with? We'll get to that later. Many of you, like me, I am absolutely in your boat. Many of you, many of us have sat in front of our TV set either every night or with some regularity or just occasionally and watched TV game shows, Jeopardy in particular, and done pretty well watching it at home. I, I can tell you, I do pretty well watching Jeopardy at home most nights that I decide to play along with the game. However, however, I am told it is not quite as easy when you are in the studio trying to do it. Well, Becky Lynch, who is a WWE wrestler, found that out this week on Celebrity Jeopardy when she set a new 
level of horribleness <laughs> when she went through the first two rounds, Jeopardy and Double Jeopardy, and got not one answer correct. How is that possible? Well, let's go back to that idea about that it's a little bit more difficult when you're in the studio. Someone who knows all about this is a man who is sort of known for being a football player and kind of known for being color commentator on McMaster football here on 900 CHML. But his real claim to fame is as a Jeopardy contestant once upon a time. His name is Peter Diakowski joins us now. Sir, how are you? Oh, never better. Yeah? Well, never better, I guess, now that you see other athletes go on and absolutely wet the bed. What you <laughs> did is brilliant by comparison. <laughs> I had a decent enough stack to make a bold wager on a daily double before I got wiped out. Now, I, I did spend some time in the first round in the red, so I can't, you know, hold myself up as an exemplary. But yeah, people have done worse. It does, you know, in some ways make me feel better. Okay, this is the amazing thing, though. So when I look at, and, and you know, you you didn't win that day, but you know what? You, you, I, I will say this before I say anything else. I have tried to take the test, the online test, to just get a tryout on Jeopardy. That online test is nasty. Anyone who can make it even as far as the show has done amazing things. So I'm not poking any fun at you or anyone else who gets on there. But oh, the yeah, in, in my defense, I was on regular Jeopardy. Yes, I was, yes. They don't consider CFL players to be celebrities out in California <laughs> anyway, so I wouldn't have qualified. I was on regular Jeopardy. Why, though, Pete, is it, like, first of all, before I ask why, did you find it more difficult doing it live in the studio than playing at home? Oh, yeah. Why? The bright lights, the imposing presence of, you know, one of my heroes, Alex Trebek, the briefness of the moment and the unforgiving nature of any live contest you don't get any do-overs you know when you're playing on tv and you feel like you're doing well you're not really being as hard on yourself as perhaps the actual environment you give yourself a you know a second chance sometimes uh even if you don't quite quite admit to it sometimes you're a little soft on yourself and then also it's more relaxed at home on your couch in your uh safe place oh i don't dispute that for a second and i do remember talking to you at the time that this happened, this is now what, almost, uh, coming up on 10 years ago, you did this now. And I remember one of the things you said was the mistake you made, and maybe you've changed your opinion on this, but at the time you said the greatest mistake you made was looking at the score because as soon as you saw yourself falling and some of them rising, it led to a, a moment of, or a, like a whole incident of panic where now all you're thinking about is what are people back home going to say? Oh, it's happening. The one thing that you're worried about, it's happening. And I'm, I was pretty good playing football. You always have to look at the next play. Whatever happens, good or bad, the next thing is the next play. So if you give up a sack, doesn't matter. On to the next one. You can give yourself a hard time about it afterwards. Pretty well programmed with that. But that skill briefly escaped me. And I spiraled a little, but I, I did recover and, and you know, came back and, and built up some, uh, some of the pretend money. So I, I, uh, and, it, and it only becomes real money if you're the, the big winner. And so all these things that I'm saying to make myself feel better, you know, in the end, there is always a winner, though. So a lot of people do go on Real Jeopardy, and they do quite well. Mm. What, what, though, so for someone who has been in her position, in Becky Lynch's position, where she has wrestled in front of 
tens of thousands of people and done it really well. She's one of the best female wrestlers in the world and doesn't seem to be affected by that pressure. You played football in here and also down at LSU in front of 100,000 people and you were able to put aside the pressure of the eyeballs on you. Why is it different to do that than to do this? Well, you know what? Thinking about what I might have had in common with Becky, neither of us were wearing spandex pants. <laughs> maybe, that's just, maybe that's, maybe that's the hint for next time. Pete needs to put on his spandex pants on Jeopardy next time. That'll do it. No, but it's, it, it just, it seems odd that people who, and, and look, there are others, uh, other celebrities have had similar things. Um, uh, Wolf Blitzer famously crashed and burned on Celebrity Jeopardy. He was one of the worst ever. And that's not what you think. You would think that people who are used to the pressure and used to the pressure of performance and eyeballs on them would be fine with this. Yeah, I, it really should be a, a skill that crosses over. You know what? When I had, a, I had a great night on a CBC game show a couple of years before my Jeopardy disaster. And I did really well because all of those strengths uh, came along with me. Part of it was I wasn't putting any pressure on myself. When I was on Jeopardy, I actually thought I was going to win. I'd done so well in all the prior qualifying things that they had. And even in the warm-up, they have a live warm-up. And I was up against the returning champ, and I was holding my own. He was looking over his shoulders. He was like a 20-game champ. So I thought, I've never been more wrongly overconfident in my life. <laughs> I thought I was going to win. Yeah, I wonder, and we got to run here, but I wonder if also... When you went on Canada's Smartest Person, I'm guessing that probably the academics and the brilliance and the eggheads who were competing with you were much more concerned about losing to a football player than a football player was about losing to someone with seven PhDs. So you had no pressure, so you relaxed. I had nothing. I, I was relaxed. I was having fun. I was rolling. The exact opposite of how I felt on, on Jeopardy. So I think I did a, a poor job of preparing myself mentally and emotionally for my Jeopardy appearance. So when you watch, so I don't know if you watched Becky Lynch or I don't know if you'll go back and watch it. Do you then, if you were to watch that episode as someone who did it, do you watch it with great sympathy or do you watch it and just kind of chuckle and go, I know I get it. Sympathy with a few involuntary chuckles. <laughs> there, there is Pete Diakowski, 2014 Jeopardy contestant. Hoping to be invited back for a rare, another do-over because the spandex, I am convinced, Pete, the spandex would make the difference. That, that would do it. And they don't see what you're wearing behind the podium. There so, you, you go. Know, lesson learned. And if there is some background noise, I'm in the, right in the bottom of Tim Horton's field here. We just had some photo ops at the Players Association. So very much excited for Grey Cup in a couple of days. Remind them, all the people down there, that you were once on Jeopardy. That will, uh, that will... <laughs> bolster your position. Uh, Pete Dykowski, always appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me on. Where will Green Day rank among the great halftime shows in Grey Cup history? Well, if we're going to talk music history and music greatness and maybe music badness too, who knows, we may go the other end. Nobody better to bring on to help us with this than Eric Alper, who is a publicist and a musical, well, a musical and a music commentator, musical and music. Eric, how are you? I'm good. All right. So I would suggest that for me and I, for, well, first of all, before I say that, I don't know that halftime shows at Grey Cup games 
have gained the kind of attention or discussion point or whatever else that great that the halftime shows at Super Bowls have got. That's like a, a national discussion. The Super Bowl halftime show becomes a national conversation. I'm not sure the same thing exists for the Grey Cup. So I'm not sure that as many of them are as completely memorable as say Prince in the rain in Miami or the, the one in Los Angeles a few years ago with Eminem and Dr. Dre and all the rest or whoever. But for me, the one that immediately comes to mind for the Grey Cup, the greatest halftime show for me, and I'm not even a huge fan of hers. I don't know how you top Shania Twain coming into the stadium on a dog sled in Ottawa. Yeah, that's easily, I think, a lot of people's number one choice. And I I agree with you. I think that, you know, around um, the, the time of the Super Bowl, there's always the list of the greatest performances ever. It's part of music folklore, whether it's rock and roll with Bruce Springsteen or whether it's R&B and crossing everybody into Prince or Dr. Dre or Eminem or Snoop Dogg. Um, but, you know, when you go through some of the artists that perform like the tragically hip back in 2004 yes. or even Alessia Cara in 2018, I think a large part of the audience would have a hard time even remembering those kind of things. But that's what happens when you have say a million people watching the great cups halftime show, as opposed to, you know, 140, 130 million when it comes to the Super Bowl. they're just way more interest in something that happens in America than here in little old Canada. Yeah. And look, some of the names of the, so first of all, let me back up again. The first real halftime show for a Grey Cup didn't start till 1990. I'm sure they had something before 1990, but as far as like making it a big thing, that's when it really started. But there have been some huge names. There's Burton Cummings and Celine Dion has played and Tom Cochran and uh, the Guess Who and Shania Twain twice and Brian Adams, Tragically Hip, you mentioned Black Eyed Peas, Lenny Kravitz, Blue Rodeo, uh, Justin Bieber. I mean, there's been a ton of them. Keith Urban last year. Yeah, um, Gordon Lightfoot. Gordon along, Lightfoot, of which, course. Which was probably the, the weirdest um, halftime show back in 2012 with Justin Bieber, Carly Rae Jepsen, Mariana's Trench, and Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, that is, yeah, that was sort of a, let's, it was the hundredth gray cup and let's try and make it so that everybody has somebody that they like. And I still right, don't, right. I still don't know <laughs> yeah, if that's. Yeah, succeeded, exactly. But... Are there any sponsors that are unhappy with this lineup? Probably not. <laughs> was Zamfir not available that day? I'm not sure <laughs> what was, uh, we need to get something in there. How about the Canadian brass? They could have been thrown in there as well. Right. But okay. So of the, so other than Shania Twain, and again, maybe, I don't even know if I remember the Shania Twain halftime show. Musically, I remember it visually more than anything. Is there a halftime show that you clearly remember musically? Um, you know what? I, I have to kind of say the the Arkells back in 2021 because the game took place right here in Hamilton. So it was a little bit of a homecoming show for them. Um, they had a marching band and they had an outfit change during a set that lasted six songs. And I think for, for me, um, it was exactly the kind of show that I wanted to see in a country like Canada that actually does pay tribute to wherever it's being played um, as opposed to in uh, in the Super Bowl where they're just looking for the biggest name, no matter what 
location it is. They're just really looking for who's the single biggest artist. And I think, you know, Green Day could have easily um, covered the the Super Bowl for this year. I mean, not only do they have a new album coming out, um, but they've sold over you know eighty million albums and inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in two thousand fifteen. So they're still on top of the game when it comes to the most popular rock and roll bands of all time. What do you think though about the argument that you know, yeah, the Green Day is huge. Green Day is a great band. I've got zero bones to pick with Green Day. I think Green Day is going to be terrific. But this is Canada's largest annual stage, and it should be a Canadian artist that's playing it. Yeah, I can definitely see both sides of it. And I think that the Grey Cup teams um, that put the event on together have really done it correct this year. What they've done is have um, over 45 artists that have been playing um, outside for and inside for a lot of live shows and events that have been happening really since Thursday and goes right until the weekend. So they've really put the local um, emphasis on Canadian artists, but I think, you know, there's a fine line between um, I, you know, just kind of sheer exploitation of these Canadian artists and having the American artists like Green Day or Carrie Underwood bring in the people so that these Canadian artists could in fact be playing to a larger crowd than if they were just going to have any Canadian on there. And I know I'm painting it with a very, very large brush when I talk about Canadian artists, but there are going to be people there who are only going to go out and see this because Green Day are playing or Carrie Underwood are playing. I mean, Carrie Underwood, she sold 90 million albums. She sold, you know, she won eight Grammy Awards, um, huge in the music world. She's one of the biggest artists for the last 20, 25 years in any musical style. And it's those artists that bring in those people that might be on the fence in order to get outside and go see a Canadian band that they would normally not go and see. All right. So uh, let's go back to the very first. We got only a minute here. The very first halftime show. And again, this is, uh, there must have been something that was being done. I can't remember before 1990, but officially... The first one was the Esmeralda Colombian Dance Group with the Mlada Srabadia Serbian oh, Folk I Dance Group. Oh, I just bought their album. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> what, is, what is less inspiring? And when you look back, maybe it was fantastic at the time, but that one or the fact that the Super Bowl early on had Carol Channing with the Southern University Marching Band. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say up with people. So eventually- That was there too. Um, yeah, they had Luba and, and Burton Cummings. And that was like the first year where I think that they were like, let's just cut away from the folk dance groups. And again, no slight to them. And let's start getting a lot of these bigger artists on there, whether it was Tom Cochran or Trooper or Love Inc. Um, so, you know, good on them for being a little bit more contemporary. Yeah, I'm trying to, I was just looking at this. Love Inc. was one of them. You're right. There's a few of these that I don't want to betray my lack of musical knowledge, but there's a few of these that I look down the list that I'm now saying, uh, I don't know who Jack Semple is. Should I? Um, well, kind of, I mean, he, he was a blues singer from, from Regina. So that kind of made sense on there. So I think it was mostly like, let's get somebody local on there. Um, probably in, in the, in the town where, you know, maybe right. they didn't really have anybody booked for that year. The other one, uh, and this is something that says it. So if you go on to Wikipedia, for example, where you can find a full list, uh, every name is, you know, blue. So you can click on it and it opens up another page where you, in 1999 in BC place, they had a group called the paraplegics. They don't even have a link. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have no idea. Um, I got to go quickly and find out what that was all about. But there you go. That's uh, yeah. There, there's I, been absolutely. a few. Absolutely, I know that they were a band from the 1990s, but I, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit stumped on there. <laughs> uh, if Eric Alper is stumped, you can be assured. That's going to be a toughie for anyone Watch, else. It's to going to be out. my neighbor, and I'm going to hear about it <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. You've probably like, how dare you? You've probably promoted them at one time or another. Going, you, you don't know a thing. Yeah, you've probably promoted them at one time or another, and you've just forgotten. Uh, that is Eric Alper. I always appreciate you coming on here. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, man. Have a great, 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 great weekend. We will do that, and we'll be watching the halftime, and we'll see if Green Day is great. I'm sure they will be. Maybe the. F- First per, well, not the first person probably in Hamilton history, because we've hosted great cups before the first person this year, let's put it that way. She is the first person this year to ride a horse into a local hotel. At least if she isn't, I really want to know who the other person was (laughs) who rode a horse into a hotel because she is the chair of the Hamilton or sorry of the Calgary great cup committee. And part of the tradition is that every year. They bring a horse to the local Grey Cup official hotel. Her name is Di Wenzel, joins us now. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you today? I am well. How's the horse? The horse is fantastic also. <laughs> Very well-behaved horse. Goes into hotels, goes into bars, goes to the Legion. Just It's, it's a remarkable horse and we're super lucky. Everybody now, I think, I, I would anyone who's involved with the Grey Cup or reasonably familiar now knows this is part of the tradition but are there any places where this becomes an issue and hotels say, no, nah, we're not going to let you do it? You know what? We've been really lucky. Uh, we've had a couple of people question. They're, they're confused for, <laughs> because they've <laughs> never heard of this. So actually, the very first time we came to Hamilton uh, back in 2021, it was a bit of a modified Grey Cup. But we did uh, want to keep the tradition alive. And we were working with a hotel partner who wasn't, they weren't really familiar with the, with the tradition. And so they said, like an actual horse, you're bringing an actual horse. <laughs> and we, we said, yes. And, um, and they, you know, they wanted to understand it. So we, I actually reached out to a couple of our former hotel partners in Ottawa and Edmonton. And they said, oh, these, these people are fantastic from Calgary and you will love the um, experience of having a horse come into your hotel. So yeah, we've had a few, yes, please come back. And a few, I I've never seen that, but we're, we're going to welcome you in. I would think the only criteria would probably be just make sure the horse doesn't um, leave anything in the lobby. I I would guess Mm -hmm. that's probably the one thing they request. Yeah. We, we sort of give them a little bit of a, you know, a preamble, you might want to put some carpet down that you, you're not attached to. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but we, you know, we bring a few little things along with us in case, in case there's any accidents, but usually the horse is pretty well behaved. It sometimes depends the, the hotels feed them carrots or, or apples, sometimes a little bit of lager. So, you know, that, that can, that can play a, a part in how the horse behaves. But well, I'm we're pretty, we're pretty lucky. I'm looking at photos from this year's stop and it looks like the hotel, whether they were on board with this or thought, whatever, they looked like they totally were into it. There were carrots and there were apples and it looks like it was a full welcome in with the horse. Full welcome. They put him in the presidential suite. Really? After, after, after <laughs> he, uh, he did his visit. We went to a bar, Shoeless Joe's and he had some beer there and then the tradition of walking him over to the hotel so he can have a good night's sleep um, is what happened. So he got fed well. He um, It was a Town Place Marriott uh, suite hotel. So we he got some Marriott Bonvoy points. You know, they really treated him nicely. One of the things that I think, again, I think many people, most people probably know of this tradition now. It's been going on for, I don't know, decades. I don't know how many decades, but back it goes. Yeah. But 
this is one of the great things about the Grey Cup, though, is you do this. I mean, the, the Calgary group does this. Edmonton has the spirit of Edmonton. They always come in. This, is, this isn't, I mean, it's Hamilton putting on the Grey Cup, but every CFL city is also in their own way putting on the Grey Cup. Absolutely. We see such great um, pride and, and dedication by all the different cities and all the different teams. And it's honestly one big happy family. It's almost like a family reunion. You, you don't see each other for a year. You all come together. And, you know, Spirit of Edmonton, you spoke about, we all go to Spirit of Edmonton because they do a great party. And we love that people come to our Calgary party and, and watch the horse and see our band. And, and so there's such great traditions and everybody, everybody contributes. We love, and it's very much a, we love all the fans. We love the bomber fans and the rider fans. There's not, it's not like a segregated, you know, or you're that fan. We don't want, you know, to, um, you know, not be together where we all get together and we all have the best time. What about though? So this year, Calgary is not playing in the game, but what about the years when Calgary has been playing is, does any of the competitiveness move over? Does anyone ever not be as excited about the horse or any of the parties? Because, well, you know, whoever it is from the East is playing you. We're not, you know, we'll be friends after, but not until. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we've obviously been quite lucky. Calgary's made it to the Grey Cup quite a few times in the last call it a couple of decades. Um, there's a bit of an elevated uh, experience, I think, because our group is, you know, attached to the city of Calgary. And if our team is playing, we get a little more profile. But I think we're still welcomed um, by that East team that we're going to face. So um, I, I feel like it, it doesn't matter if we're in or out. It's more about the community. We're really lucky. Um, our sponsors are the city of Calgary and the Calgary Stampede. And we have Big Steel Box who helps get our pancake grills out here. And, and we just have this really great uh, sponsorship, sponsorship and support, uh, from, from everywhere. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's an overall wonderful community initiative that, you, got, we, you know, that we, we start in Calgary and we take it across the country. We got to run. Tuffy is the name of the horse. Is Tuffy, does Tuffy have any more public appearances this weekend? Tuffy does not. Tuffy was busy yesterday. Um, so, uh, he's having a good, a good night's sleep. All right. There you go. Well, the spirit of, well, not the spirit of Edmonton and the Calgary Great Cup Committee, all of the teams, all the cities are, are involved in this this year. Get down there and, uh, enjoy some of that. Diane Wenzel, chair of the Calgary Great Cup Committee. Thanks for doing this. You bet. Thank you. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. I bet you that at the end, when Green Day has its big finale, I bet you we may see some fireworks go off. If I recall correctly, there were for the Arkells last time. But City Hall right now, City Council has asked staff, they voted on this yesterday or uh, Wednesday, pardon me. They have requested from staff that we explore, that staff explore getting rid of fireworks for Canada Day because, well, they're not good for the environment, some say. Is this, is this what we should be doing? Should we be getting rid of fireworks once a year, maybe twice, I don't know. Or do we say, come on, it's once or twice a year and it's a big event and it's our national holiday and let's stick with it. Uh, we asked Councillor Narinder Nan, who brought this motion forward to join us today. She's not able to today. She may later, but she's stuck in a meeting somewhere, we're told. So um, on the other side, someone who did not support this was Councillor Matt Francis, Ward 5, who joins us now. Councillor, how are you? I'm great, Scott. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm a little dis 
dismayed that we may end up getting rid of fireworks on Canada Day. To me, this, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of with you on this one. I just think this is sort of an unnecessary getting rid of something that really doesn't, isn't that big a deal for a problem. You're absolutely right. And I, I'm going to be at the Grey Cup, uh, like you just referenced on uh, Sunday. And I hope there's huge fireworks. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it if there are. It's, uh, uh, it's a tradition that goes back in our country for over 150 years. We've been celebrating it with Canada Day for 150 years. And uh, uh, people look forward to it. The children love it. Families love it. Newcomers to Canada love it. Um, it's a great event that Hamilton uh, puts on every year. And uh, let's be honest here, that's not going to solve the problem. I know they've referenced climate change. They've referenced animals. These are valid points. Um, but it's certainly not going to solve the problem because you can still go to your backyard and blow them off and and uh, have a good time on private property or even park um, and uh, or a private event. Um, so it's certainly not going to achieve uh, the climate and uh, animal results that I think they, they reference they might be looking for. That's That was going to be the question I was going to ask is, okay, if we're going to say that the city can't do this because it is so bad for the environment, how can the city possibly not then just ban fireworks altogether? Why, how is getting rid of one fireworks display when others could be held accomplishing anything? That's exactly it. It's, it's it, There's no... And the other thing too, uh, to dovetail out of that, it's 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 providing a safe alternative for folks. Because my worry now, the ten thousand people that go down there and and watch this display, well, that's ten thousand people that might say, you know what, let's buy our own this year. Let's go light them off in our backyard, creating obviously the unsanctioned in that way, and and uh, could lead to some potential hazards. So, uh, for I've got a, a lot of reasons why I don't support it. But first and foremost, this is the greatest country on the planet. I'm proud to be a Canadian and we should celebrate it with joy, pride, passion, and with fireworks. And again, it's it's not even to me the issue that, you know, a, could Canada Day be a success and be fun without fireworks? Of course it could. I just don't see how this solves anything. I don't know what the problem is that it's trying to solve or where the solution is if there are other events where fireworks are going to happen. Because again, if, if, if you're going to put in a ban, if council is going to pass something that says next time the Grey Cup is here, no fireworks, any outdoor concert, no fireworks, any event that is held, no fireworks. I mean, I think that would be ludicrous, but at least it would be consistent. This, uh, this doesn't seem even consistent. Yeah, I agree. And actually, believe it or not, I, I came across an article after this. It wasn't even on my radar. I've never heard anybody complain to me about it before. Uh, the, the Canada Day firework display that the city of Hamilton puts on, nobody's raised that with me. Um, but Calgary tried this in May, and it, it blew up in their face, quite literally. And, uh, you know, a lot of people petitioned against it and, and fought against it, and Calgary reinstated it. So um, I, I can definitely see that same sort of thing happening here. And let's be honest, we have so many bigger issues to solve at City Hall uh, than a fireworks display. And, uh, you know, taxes are through the roof, for example. And, uh, you know, putting staff out there, um, when we're looking at a 14.2% tax increase, putting staff out there and, and tying up their resources, uh, not a good use of resources and, and, and taxpayers' dollars, in my opinion. That is something that a lot of people have pointed out, not with this case only, but that Council, not just this council, the previous one, the one before that, uh, so often sends things back to staff to study that costs us money. It, it does seem as though surely, again, if council doesn't like these, 
vote on it. Why not just vote on it then and make a decision? What, what is staff going to tell us about fireworks that we don't know about fireworks? Yeah, I know. And that's the other thing too, is everything has an expense and, you know, they reference maybe a drone show, a laser show. Okay. But these all come at a great expense. And I mean, let's be honest, are drones eco-friendly? I mean, they're made with, uh, uh, I'm sure they're made with plastic products, which are made from, from oil. So I'm not convinced that this is uh, an eco-friendly alternative anyway. Well, it's, um, so when does this come back for a, a decision? Um, depends on how long it takes staff to go out and, and, uh, and figure out if there's a partner that is willing to do this. I suspect probably before Canada Day, we'll have this discussion mm. once again. And, and, uh, yeah, you can certainly, uh, count on my support to not, uh, ban fireworks, uh, fireworks displays for the city of Hamilton that, uh, you know, so many children and families and, and, uh, newcomers to Canada really enjoy going to look forward to safely every single year. Uh, the other one thing was going to be, so in the meeting on Wednesday, it passed, but what passed was to send it back for staff to look at this. Did you get the sense that counselors, that the majority of counselors were feeling supportive of getting rid of it, or was this mostly just supportive of exploring? Uh, I'd, I'd have to think, uh, when it comes back again, that's why I've kind of referenced the whole, uh, why send it to staff if, if, if we're not going to do it anyways? Um, because I, 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 I highly doubt when it does come back, especially at the cost that I'm sure uh, it would be to do a drone show, it won't be supported by uh, council at that point. So why even go down this road anyways? That is uh, Ward 5 Councillor Matt Francis. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Scott. Have a great weekend. Uh, as I say, we have asked and we will try to get the other side on. We'll try to on Monday or sometime next week, get Councillor Narendra Nayan on. Uh, again, I, I just don't understand. The part I don't understand about this is what is the benefit? What is the upside to banning one fireworks show if it's for the environment, but leaving fireworks as a legal product within the city? That's what I don't get. We can have the discussion all day long about whether fireworks are essential for Canada Day, but it's like saying there will be no outdoor cigarette smoking on Canada Day, but all other days of the year or even elsewhere on Canada Day, you can smoke your cigarettes, just not at the official, the city's not going to sanction a cigarette smoking area. I mean, it just, it's either they're bad or they're not bad. They're banned or they're not banned. I don't get it. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Great Cup Festival on James Street. Lots going on this weekend, as we've been talking about all day. And it will be capped by a game. Yes, we sometimes forget there is actually a game that goes along with this whole thing. The Grey Cup is, in fact, a football game that has to decide the championship of Canadian football. That is Sunday at Tim Hortons Field. That is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers against the Montreal Alouettes. And here to discuss that part of it, we've discussed everything else except for the football. John Hodge is a reporter for Three Down Nation and co-host of the Three Down Nation podcast. Joins me now. John, how are you? Doing great. How about yourself? I am doing great. Although I must say, as much as I keep looking toward this game, I keep expecting that Winnipeg is going to win by like 30 points only because... I keep thinking Montreal has been on this just hot flyer of a ride, but the magic has to disappear at some point. Am I wrong? 
Well, I mean, they've won seven straight games, and I don't think you can take that away from them. No. By that same token, the, the first six didn't come against world beaters, right? The first six came against clubs that finished below 500 this season. And look, it's, it, you know, you still got to win those games, of course. And they obviously had a tremendously impressive performance in the East final getting to this game. Um, but I think the Alouettes, I don't want to say they're limited necessarily. I just think they, they have a great script to try to get these wins. And that script is playing dominant defense, producing turnovers from their defense on special teams, right? They get some big returns and on offense. They, they don't really try to do a whole heck of a lot. They try to kind of play conservative, hold on to the ball, try to wait for the other team to make mistakes. The Toronto Argonauts did that in the East final. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers will certainly look to avoid those mistakes on Sunday. Yeah, and your point, I mean, look, they, they do an amazing job on defense. They played an amazing game last weekend against Toronto. I don't know how many people other than maybe them, and even not all of them, I'm guessing, if you were to really hook them up to a lie detector machine, thought they were going to win that game. Certainly not with nine turnovers. They played an amazing game. I just, I, there's something, the way Winnipeg just plays, they always seem to rise to the occasion. I just kind of expect the magic slipper to crack and Winnipeg to just roll on. Well, they say that teams take on the personalities of their head coach. And I mean, if you were to point to anybody in the history of this league as being a savvy veteran who's been there and done that before, it would be Mike O'Shea, right? I mean, he, he won a ton of championships as a player. He's, he's won two as a coach. He's now been to the Great Cup three times as a coach. He, he, he's done amazing things. He's, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame player to start, and he's been a Hall of Fame coach. So this team has faced some adversity this year. They, they, they've had some games where they were down, came way back. I'll, I'll point to their late season game in BC. I believe it was week 18. Everybody basically knew the winner of that game was going to host the West final. And the host of the West final was probably going to go to the great cup. And Winnipeg was down multiple scores early on. And yet they came back forced overtime and won the game convincingly in that extra frame. So Winnipeg more so than, than arguably anybody in the league. When they face adversity, they bounce back. And so if they, if they get down a little bit on Sunday, I don't think this is a team that's going to fold. I think this is a team that's going to keep pushing and, and getting better. And they do have some adversity. They've got a bunch of really key injuries right now. They do. They've got Adam Big Hill, who got hurt this past week. They've, they've of course, got Dalton Schoen, who's been out the last few weeks with an ankle. And so, you know, this is a... Uh, this is a team that has had to overcome some things. I mean, the most important player, Zach Kolaris, their star quarterback, is healthy. But, you know, they, when you're missing Dalton Schoen, who's been a top-five receiver in, in the last two years out of the lineup, that does limit your offense. And so I do expect that, you know, they're, they're going to have to game plan around it. They did last week in the West Final. The difference to me was the West Final, the conditions made it a little bit more challenging to throw the ball. Conditions on Sunday in Hamilton are going to be better. It's not going to be great. Forecast, I believe, is plus two light chance of rain, but you know it's going to be a little bit more open through the air. I suppose the, the, the plus side of that, if you're a Bombers fan, is the Alouettes have arguably the worst passing offense in the CFL, but uh, yes, they, they've certainly faced adversity. It should be noted the Bombers haven't officially ruled out Big Hill or Schoen, though I, I would be extremely surprised if either played. 
Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I started thinking if it gets really, it's not supposed to be really cold. If it had been super cold, it, weirdly, I might have almost expected one or more of them to play because eventually you just get so numb you can you can almost <laughs> play through something, but it's not. It's supposed to be actually pretty decent weather for that. Here's the funny thing about this, and, and this this even goes beyond the field. There's, there's obviously going to be a lot of Hamilton people in the stands. Some of them will have sold their tickets to people from Winnipeg or Montreal, but there's going to be a lot of Hamilton people. And you mentioned Mike O'Shea. This is a guy who is not beloved by Hamilton fans, which would immediately make you think, okay, uh, people, and the fact that Winnipeg has won so much, maybe the overwhelming consensus would be we're going to cheer against Mike O'Shea, so the crowd will be a Montreal crowd. But then you know what? I, I, despite the fact that he was a Cat and he left here, not of his own choosing, I think there is a real, uh, a, a like maybe a love, but a like for Zach Caleros. I think there's a lot of people in this city that have come to the point where they are kind of cheering for Zach Caleros to do well. Well, I, I think that's, that's wise because it's not like Zach left Hamilton of his own volition, right? He, he was here. He was the guy. He, he was on pace to have an MOP season in 2015, and then he got hurt and the club elected to move on, right? That, that wasn't really his choice. He just kind of lost the job to Jeremiah Masoli and, and was forced to go elsewhere. So, I, you know, I, I do think the Ticats fans might have a soft spot, but I will also say this. If there's one thing that the Ticats fans love to cheer for, it's against the Toronto Argonauts. And the only reason the Argos aren't in this game with a chance to win a Tim Hortons field is the Alouette. So yes. if I'm a Ticats fan, I wonder if that plays it was, hey, you know what? You did us a favor by beating Toronto, stopping them from getting a chance to win two in a row. I will, we'll show our appreciation by cheering for you on Sunday. I, I actually do think you're right, John. Uh, John, I do think that Montreal is going to have, except for the fact that Winnipeg travels so well, there's going to be a lot of people here from Winnipeg. I think that among the locals, I think Montreal probably will be the favorite. Watch out for the train. But I also, I also <laughs> think that if Zach Caleros does win again, I don't think it's going to be heartbreaking for the local fans to have seen him hoist the cup is my point. Yes, and I, I think that's valid. I mean, Zach is a likable guy. He's an affable guy. I think over the course of his career, he's gotten a little bit more comfortable with, with being a little bit more open, being a little bit, you know, more of himself, showing a little bit more of his personality. And uh, I, I've certainly seen that in Winnipeg. I'll, I'll speak for myself and getting to know him over the last few years. He got parachuted in, obviously, very late in 2019. No season in 2020. So since kind of the the truncated season in 2021 we've, we've gotten to see more and more of Zach in Winnipeg and I think he's been more and more open right showing himself joking around a little bit more he's also had some, some pretty funny questions this year because of course he's close with the Kelsey brothers who are now I was just going to say that I was just going to say people who don't know this may not know that in university at the University of Cincinnati Zach Caleros and Travis Kelsey who's now dating Taylor Swift were roommates and Zach Caleros almost has to win this game now because his daughters have to see that he can still be the cool one and win a trophy. Because right now, you know, they're all saying, Dad, can we go hang out with Uncle Travis? Can we go? (laughs) We want to see Taylor. Can we go see Uncle Travis? He's got to win this trophy to make himself look good to his daughters again. I'm telling you. Uh, We'll Uh, see. He's he's been asked about it multiple times. And he he did literally talk to Travis on Tuesday. Well, there you go. In close communication and... Yeah, and, and by the way, he also said, no, I'm not surprised that my buddy Travis took his shot with Taylor Swift because uh, that's just the kind of guy Travis is. He, he, he likes to shoot his shot, and obviously he, 
he, you know, he took the shot and he was successful in, in getting a date. So. And let's see, let's see who knows. Maybe Taylor Swift is at the game on Sunday with Travis Kelsey. Oh no, they got to play a game. Oh, well. uh, that, that is uh, John Hodge. He is with Three Down Nation and uh, he is a man who just apparently narrowly missed doom with a train that has just passed by. So we're glad that you're well <laughs> and we really appreciate taking the time, John. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Back on July 1st, 2019, the city launched a fraud, waste, and whistleblower, fraud and waste hotline. You can be a whistleblower and call in and report something that city staff or someone else was doing improperly. And it was a, you know, probably a smart move. And, and a lot of people would say it was a smart move. Well, we're seeing perhaps that it really was now because we're seeing an increase in calls. Doesn't necessarily, and this is important to say off the top, it doesn't necessarily mean just because someone calls in that someone has done something wrong. What it does mean though, and I think this is an important thing and a good thing, is that people in town have their eyes open for stuff and want to be able to report this. Let me bring in Charles Brown. He's the Auditor General for the City of Hamilton, joins us now. Charles, thank you for doing this today. Oh, good to be with you. As I say, the fact that people call in, and we're now at a pace beyond what we've ever seen before, the fact that people call in doesn't necessarily mean that someone has done something wrong. It is a, it's an allegation. It's a report. How often though, are we finding that what they are calling in about is backed up by legitimate reasons? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. The, uh, the number of calls are increasing, the number of complaints. In fact, this past year, which is the fourth year uh, of our fraud and waste hotline, it, it went, it rose about 50% to 159 complaints. But I guess the good news is that this is what we call the substantiation rate of those complaints. Last year, it was 32%. And even with the rise to 159 complaints, our substantiation rate was still uh, about 31%. So it's roughly a third of the complaints that we get that end up being substantiated. All right. Now, Charles, this is, this is going to sound like, uh, and I don't mean this to sound like this, I'm not questioning your integrity in any way, but for someone from the city, from outside the city, someone who calls in, they may say, well, look, this is the city just looking out for its own. That's why it's only 31%. How, how do you uh, convince people or give people confidence that it's not that, that this is independent enough that really a proper investigation is being done and that these things are being taken seriously? Well, I guess it's the, the nature of my role as an Auditor General. I'm independent from, from management. It's set up that way. I'm appointed as an Auditor General under the Municipal Act, and I have various authorities and powers and duties and responsibilities. And I guess the other thing would be just the, the, the confidence of the people that, that, that we have. We not only have the independence, but we have the people. I have a team, including myself, of seven, and we do this for a living. Uh, you can appreciate that, uh, you know, we, it, it takes a lot of time to do some of the, but you'll see some of the investigations uh, in our report uh, this year were pretty extensive. Um, for example, but when we were looking into false benefit claims, you know, that involved 10, 10 employees ultimately. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And what happens, so you would do the investigation, you would come to a conclusion about whether the person did what was alleged or not. And I don't think that it's you then, in fact, I know it's not you then that would make a decision about what happens to the employee, but what has been happening to the employees who have been found to truly have broken the rules? Are the consequences significant? They can be. 
And you're you're absolutely correct. It's it's not my role to decide on on what level of discipline, if any, because there are often very mitigating circumstances. What we try to do is ascertain the validity of the complaint. And sometimes in the course of doing that, we, we find other issues. And I will say that even though 31% of, uh, is the what we call the substantiation rate of complaints, there's often valuable insight that, to be gained because the way our process works, when we get a complaint, the first thing we do is we make a preliminary assessment on what is it based? Is there reasonable grounds to proceed? Is there evidence and information either confirming or disconfirming? And then once we decide to, uh, to, to action that complaint, there's different things that we can do. We can launch an investigation ourselves in some cases, there's another authority, there's another unit that looks after those types of complaints. Mm. For example, Ontario Works uh, fraud issues, we pass that along to Ontario Works. If it's something to do with um, uh, more of a human resources related matter, we pass that on to human resources, things like um, allegations of uh, discrimination uh, or harassment and such things. Charles, I've got 30 seconds and, I, and I, I, I'm going to put you in a tough spot because I know you can't in most cases say who is making the allegations. Those would be anonymous. I'm guessing it's a whistleblower hotline. But are we finding that these are p- people just in the public who see things or are a bunch of these other employees yeah. reporting on employees? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's been pretty stable at about 50-50. Sometimes it's slightly more employees, sometimes it's slightly more of the public. This past year, it was 52% were reports by the public and 48% were reports by employees. Mm. It's... Uh, Sorry, we got we. Unfortunately, I wish we had a lot more time, Charles. It's a fascinating topic. We got we got to go, but it's uh, it is uh, it's called the um, where am I looking here? The uh, the fraud and waste hotline. You can find out about it at the city's website if you know of something or want to report something. Yeah. Charles will. Yeah, if if you want to find out more about it, just go to Hamilton.ca/fraud. There you go. That'll take you uh, to the link to the hotline. That'd be great. And we really appreciate when members of the public and employees give us this information. It's, it's so valuable, and we thank those who've done so. That is Charles Brown. He's the Auditor General for the City of Hamilton. Charles, thank you for taking the time today. My pleasure. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. All right. Uh, yesterday marked one year since this Hamilton Council was sworn in and uh, came into office on a wave of, seemingly a wave of desire for change. The last council had worn out its welcome, it appeared, and there was a lot of talk in the election that people wanted change. People wanted things to change. Well, a year later, 366 now days later, has change arrived? Let's bring in John Best. He is publisher of the Bay Observer, a close observer, appropriately named, of Hamilton City Hall. John, how are you today? Just fine, thanks. Well, let's uh, let's start with council. I'm going to get to in the next segment. We're going to talk about the mayor a little more specifically, but let's talk about this council. Change certainly seemed to be the theme of the election, whether that's what people really voted for or whether that's just what the discussion was. Have we seen the kind of massive change that one would have expected if we got 10 new people around that table? 
Well, I think we have, but I think uh, part of the change is, uh, frankly, I, I have never seen a council that uh, seemed to be as disconnected from the community they represent as as this one, Scott. Um, they, they just seem to be uh, operating in a different lane uh, altogether from the public on, on a number of issues. I think the number one issue in this city right now is taxes. And uh, that's probably the number 99 issue for this council. Uh, they just, uh, so many instances of them spending money at a time when we're really strapped for cash and, and, and frankly have competing needs that are, that are greater than some of the things that they've opted to spend money on. Mm. So yeah, we got change. All right. Uh, and, and certainly a change of tone, uh, a, a change of personalities, but uh, I, I really haven't seen a council literally, you know, since I came to Hamilton, I won't even tell you how many years ago, but <laughs> I've never seen a council that that reflected the community as little as this council does. You know, you mentioned taxes and what has completely been forgotten, I think by most people is a shortly before, maybe a month before the election, uh, Main Street Research did a poll of Hamiltonians asking what their priorities were in the city. And number one on the poll was housing. And that's understandable considering it wasn't just housing for the homeless. It was also affordable housing of people could live here and buy a house. But number two on that poll was taxes. And your point is exactly right. I all, well, not never, I almost never hear this as the primary discussion point on any issue. There are a few counselors who do but it never seems to be, or very seldom, the priority or the driving factor behind a decision. No, it doesn't. Uh, and, you know, just recently, even, you know, with this terrible homelessness crisis, and and, and we also have a housing crisis for people that aren't homeless, um, It you know, it strikes me that, you know, some of these measures that the council has put through makes sense if uh, if everything is working properly. But, you know, like, for instance, we're committed to 40 kilometers of bike lanes. I am not a bike lane opponent uh, at all. Uh, I encounter them from time to time. When I lived in the lower city, I encountered them much more frequently. No beef with them whatsoever. But it's just a question of do we keep doing those kind of things when we've got uh, a homeless crisis such as we have? When, um, you know, we, we haven't even at this point uh, touched um, affordable housing in any way. There was, you know, we've been conned by uh, Catherine McKenna when she announced the funding for the LRT that one of the conditions was going to be a, affordable housing. You watch these meetings, uh, of, you know, where they're talking about the social benefits and, of LRT, and, and they don't have a clue. There is nothing going on other than organizations uh, like Indwell and, uh, you know, Hamilton Kiwanis Homes who have been around and been providing housing. There, there's really nothing new. And I don't see a strategy other than hoping uh, that there'll be more of the same. Yeah. Well, you mentioned bike lanes. It's in, it's one example, and we're not going to just pick on bike lanes. It's one example, but one of the things that happened with this term of council was a, what was it, 25 or a 30 year bike plan 
got compressed into a few years. This, this, the spending on this could have been spread out over a long time. The decision was made, no, let's do it all right now, which again goes to the idea of taxes. Is that really where people are wanting all their taxes to go or to drive up the taxes like that? But that's what's happening. Yeah, it's a total disconnect. I mean, the biking lobby is is the most self-absorbed group I've ever seen. Uh, you're constantly seeing, uh, you know, them blowing through stop signs, and uh, they, they just seem to be oblivious to the rest of the planet. I realize I'm going to offend uh, a number of people with that, and uh, I'm not sorry. But, you know, it's just a timing issue. Um, you know, we're in a crisis, uh, you know, a fiscal crisis, I, I don't think is too strong of a word. We've declared, I think council has declared four crises uh, since they got elected a year ago. Uh, but I haven't heard anything about a taxation crisis or just the fact that uh, we, we simply are trying to do a lot of things that aren't really in the municipal lane. And uh, we're trying to solve the world's problems. And uh, to some degree, I think neglecting Hamilton's problems. Well, there's one other thing with taxes that I have found very interesting is that as we heard a couple months ago now about this presumed or predicted 14.2% tax increase, that led to an awful lot of councillors saying, this is the result of provincial downloading. Don't blame us. This is the provincial government dumping all this on us. And to be sure there is some of that. John, but what I find so interesting is Hamilton is not the only city in Ontario. The province didn't only download stuff onto Hamilton, and yet we are, that I can find, the only city that's looking at a 14.2% tax increase. Well, Mike Zagarek, our finance uh, chief, he said that uh, 10% of the 14% were council strategic investments, $115 million dollars. So uh, I, I, I agree with you completely. It's, of course, we have inflation and, and some of these other pressures, and we'll have to see how much of uh, these labor settlements, including the uh, HSR settlement, how much of that will have to be added on to uh, what we've already budgeted. But um, there was a, a lot of council initiatives in the first few months that have committed us into uh, coming years and, uh, you know, in huge staff increases, hundreds, you know, the biggest staff increase in, in memory uh, in 2023. And, and as recently as last week, I saw another staff report come forward. And, oh, by the way, we need to add additional staff to uh, mm. carry out this proposal. So, uh, it, it, you know, we're, we're just moving in opposite directions. John, the, uh, with when you bring in a new council, uh, in this case, you also brought in a new mayor who I would argue came into this job with her political reputation more bolstered in people's minds than anyone who's ever held this job before. I think Andrea Horvath, as longtime leader of the NDP, people thought they knew what they were getting or what they were expecting. How do you think Andrea Horvath has done in this job? Well, I, I think um, I saw your column, and and I tend to agree with it. I, I think she surprised uh, a, a number of people by uh, being as, uh, so far at least, centrist as uh, as she appears to be. Um, I talked to a number of people who spoke to her uh, after the election, and and she expressed uh, she some relief, frankly, that she didn't have to keep. Uh, harping on uh, NDP talking points that, you know, that had obviously become a bit stale for her. 
I think her big challenge is going to be this budget, uh, the, the budget process, uh, you know, was always council driven uh, with the mayor having one vote. But now she has to present the budget and uh, and she has uh, the ability to um, it's going to require a two thirds council vote to override anything she wants. She can uh, they can make recommendations, but she can veto them. So this is a, a strange new dynamic. They're they're a little further along in Burlington uh, than we are. They're going to be. She's uh, the mayor. There has already submitted her budget, and next week uh, the councilors are going to start submitting their recommendations for for changes. But I, it's going to be interesting to see how this budget is handled. Uh, Andrea's expressed concern about the fourteen point two percent. She's made it very clear she wants to cut it down. I just don't know how she can cut it down uh, without disappointing and maybe angering some members of council because I I can't see all this stuff they pushed forward into 2024 uh, being approved unless we totally drain the uh, the reserve accounts. So uh, I think it's going to be a challenge, and I I think before it's over there will be councilors that. Uh, are not happy with her. Do you anticipate, so she has these strong mayor powers, as you described, so she can have way more control over the budget than any mayor has around here in the past. If she chooses to use it, I just question whether she's going to use those strong mayor powers or how much, because the amount, the predicted raise, the predicted increase is so high that if she uses her strong mayor powers, this becomes the Andrea Horvath budget, not the city council budget. Well, uh, I think it's going to be the Andrea Horvath budget, whether she ducks it or whether she uh, is is uh, driving the budget. Uh, that that's the system that's in place, and and if she kind of hides behind council, I think she will suffer accordingly in public opinion. Uh, this this system is very untried and. And we don't know how it's going to work yet, but uh, I think that, you know, the public is maybe weren't that crazy about this uh, strong mayor system, but I think they're expecting uh, that it will be driven by the mayor at this point. Will, okay, so the budget is certainly a driving point and it is going to be, uh, I think you're probably right. It is going to be her legacy, whether she uses those powers or not. As leader of this council, she has got on her hands a bunch of people who are very far to the left, and she's got some who are on the right. And, you know, there's not always a lot of agreement on this council. How has she done leading it? Well, I I think she gets a, a, a decent mark in the sense that there have been more than one occasion when she's had to tell counselors to, uh, uh, you know, restrain themselves. Uh, we had a, a number of situations in the first six months of this council where some of the newer members were walking on various measures and uh, they all had money attached to them. Uh, she she came down on that uh, more recently and said, you know, we've got to we've got to exercise some discipline and uh, it'll be interesting to see what that discipline looks like. Um, I, I think some of the members of council support her. Uh, I think other members of council were hoping for another mayor, frankly. Um, uh, you know, there were there were three candidates, and I, I think there, there was a significant group 
that uh, wanted to see uh, Keenan Loomis as mayor and were somewhat surprised to see her come in late and uh, and capture the the uh, post. So I, I don't know what her who her allies are on council. I think she's got some grudging allies, but I'm not sure who's uh, you know really in her corner solidly. One of the one of the um, more common complaints or criticisms, I guess is a better word against her is that she has not been as conspicuous or as vocal or in almost in some cases has been muted. Some have said it, the word invisible has popped up there. Is, is that something that is working for her because people are tired of politicians, quite frankly, period. And so not having someone always screaming at us is a good thing. Or is that working against her because she's just not all that as I say, conspicuous. Well, I, I think she had to kind of feel her way into the job. Uh, I've watched her chairing meetings, and I think she's becoming stronger at that. But uh, the role of a mayor and even the role of a councillor is so different uh, from the role that she played as a party leader and an MPP. Um, you know, the, the spotlight is on you when you're the mayor. So uh, I, you know, yes, she, she probably had, I, I don't think her nature, quite frankly, is to be, you know, the loudest person in the room. So, you know, she's, she's kind of worked her way into it. I, I saw her, uh, I think the most recent meeting I watched her, she, uh, she's getting a little better at slapping down people now. And, uh, you know, when they, when they get out of line, she's quite determined to maintain decorum. Uh, and by that, I mean, she will step in and criticize people on both sides of the spectrum when they start getting kind of snotty and personal uh, in, in some of the back and forth. To my mind, I'd, I'd let a little more of it go, but that's, you know, I'm used to watching more combative councils. But, uh, you know, she's she's starting to get a handle, I think, on, on controlling the meetings. And, uh, you know, but I, I, I think... All of that is really cosmetic. What it really comes down to is where are we going to be as a community? Uh, is she going to is she going to learn to uh, you know take a a hard line on this budget because there's just no way we get from fourteen down to six or seven percent without disappointing somebody around the table? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think you know a lot of it's got to do with uh, we'll see how she handles this first big test. And so, and John, we got 30 seconds here, but what, okay. So a first year, all right, you can argue that, you know, she had to figure out the job like everyone else around council, anyone in a new job is going to take a little while. What's the, how do we judge her then as the mayor going forward in year two, three, and four? What, what is the gauge or the mechanism or the criteria we're going to use to decide whether she's a good mayor or not? Well, I, I hate to uh, beat a drum, but I, I think the number one issue is is housing affordability and taxes. So that's what the, the polls say. And I think she'll be judged on her ability to manage those two files. That's uh, three years to try and figure that out. But uh, John, maybe, and I think you're probably onto something here that if this year's tax increase can't get down way below that 14%, it won't be 14%, I don't think, but if it can't be much below that, I think the reputation may be seared in with all of these counselors and uh, no matter what they do in the next few years, they may not be able to overcome that. We'll see though. Uh, John Best, always love having you on. Thanks for taking time today. My pleasure. Just received reports of a man who looks a lot like Rick Zamperin 
having stolen the Calgary Stampeders horse and is now riding it in minimal clothing through Hamilton City Hall. I don't know if this is true. Uh, Rick joins us live on location, possibly from atop the horse. Is any of this true? Uh, I can confirm <laughs> that I was bucked off by toughing up earlier today. <laughs> uh, yes, that's, uh, the, none of that is true, but uh, just, just, just in case one person out there is gullible and goes, really? Rick did that? No, no. But uh, Rick is down at the Great Cup Festival where it would not surprise me, not right this minute, Rick, but as the evening goes on and the spirit of Edmonton party and others get rolling, it would not surprise me if someone was in minimal clothing and horses were involved. Nothing would surprise me. No, not at all. And I, you know, I've been to a few of these things, whether it's uh, yeah, Spirit of Edmonton or Tiger Town or Stamps. I mean, you name the team party. There is a certain amount of hijinks that goes on. But listen, it's all in good fun. It is the, uh, what do they call it, the great Canadian drunk. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who have uh, a really good time, uh, whether you're wearing a Ticats jersey, and there's a lot of these down here uh, today, and, and there was that was the case yesterday, and I'm sure it'll be the case tomorrow. And then you'll see all sorts of other jerseys, whether it's Argos or Blue Bombers or Lions. And it's just a great congregation. It's a slice of Canadiana. This is, whether you're a football fan or not, you're, you're at these events or at these kind of great cup festivals year in and year out because you just like the camaraderie of, of other people sharing in a beverage or a pizza or whatever you're consuming. I would guess, now I have not been down today and more people have flowed into the city. I would guess that there are probably an awful lot of Winnipeg Blue Bomber jerseys because that is a team and a fan base that travels well and their team is in this game. Without a doubt. Listen, the number one jersey that I've seen, to no one's surprise, is the Tiger Cats. But number two, I will say it is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, you know, that's not surprising. And we've heard that a lot of Bombers um, scooped up tickets at the last minute and that's how this game got sold out. Mind you, there's you know a lot of Alouettes fans did the same thing, but I, I can clearly see a three-to-one ratio of Blue Bombers jerseys to Alouette's jerseys, at least from what I saw today. I only saw, actually, one time yesterday a Blue Bombers jersey. Um, and for the most part, a lot of Rough Riders, a lot of Lions, some Red Blacks, Argos, Ticats, of course. Um, not very many Alouette's jerseys that I've seen. I've even seen more BC Lions jerseys than Alouette's jerseys, which is really weird. So, But the difference is, everyone that I've talked to there hasn't been, aside from the Blue Bombers fans, there hasn't been one person in a non-Bombers jersey who is saying that I'm going for the Bombers on Sunday. They're all saying Alouette. Interesting. There might be some, you know, I think, you know, this is a fourth straight year, or fourth straight season that Winnipeg is in it. So I think there's, there's some, okay, we're, we're tired of you guys already. I, I would say, though, that if Hamilton was, if the organizers were uh, not looking at this from an emotional perspective. If this was emotional, you want the Ticats in the game for sure. But if yeah. this is a purely economic and business decision, I think Winnipeg and Montreal might be the two best options. You could have had Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan is, of course, the really the beating heartbeat of this league. But if you can't have them, Winnipeg travels. And I don't know that people necessarily come. They come for the game if the Argos were in, but I don't know if they come here all week. And I don't know about Ottawa. I think you may have hit just about the two best teams for bringing people into town for the festival. Uh, yeah, you you got a good point there. I I was curious, and I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was just kind of testing myself. I, you know, if Toronto won that game, they would have won you know seventeen out of nineteen games they played this season, and would that have spurred this emotional rush 
of hardcore and fair weather Argos fans to say, all right, like we're, we're going all the way. We got to be there at this event, festival, you know, before the game, the tailgate, all that kind of stuff. That would have been interesting to see. Unfortunately, we're not going to see it if you're an Argos fan, but I think we got usually the next best thing because Montreal fans do travel well. Uh, and the good news is the air horn has been banned from Tim Hortons Field <laughs> for the Cray Cup, so that's music to everyone's ears. Yeah, the air time. horn, Rick, but I have not heard a word yet about the Vuvuzela. So, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, just before we let you go, because we got to get to this very quickly, if you are not going to carry Underwood tonight, and a bunch of people will be, but if you're not going to carry Underwood, but you still want to do something, when that show ends, or even after, where... Where is everybody going to be going to? Where do you find the action tonight? I would say the best place is going to be the Hamilton Convention Center because you have Tiger's Town, Tiger Town, uh, Ryderville, Stamps House, Bomber's House, Lions Den, the Schooners Party is there. Uh, the only one outside of the Convention Center is uh, the Spirit of Edmonton, which is at Bridworth. So be at the Convention Center. You will have a good time. That is Rick Zamper, who... Um is still looking for the horse. The reports were premature, but he is looking for the horse to hijack. And uh, if you see someone riding through town, it's probably Rick. If it's a male on the horse. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Enjoy the weekend. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. I got to go. I am out of time for this Friday. We will reconnect on Monday. I'm in Monday for Scott one more time. Thank you to Tom for keeping us on the air today. Great work by Tom on all the technical stuff. Will, great job lining up the show. Have a wondrous weekend. Enjoy the festival. Enjoy the Great Cup. Do something with it. It's not going to be back here for a while after this. So enjoy it. Have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. 